at Indium. On a more practical note, he also received instruction on medicines and how to dress wounds and set broken bones, although in line with most medical men of the time, he was taught that the most effective treatment for practically any ailment was to bleed the patient. Although Lewis was given command of the expedition and promoted to the army rank of captain, he was determined to share the adventure with an old friend and fellow soldier named William Clark, and he wrote to Clark asking him to join the Corps of Discovery with an equal share in its leadership. Clark replied, My friend, I do assure you that no man lives with whom I would prefer to undertake such a trip. However, the army was unwilling to make Clark a captain, and he was recruited to the expedition as a lieutenant under Lewis's command. At no time during the whole expedition did Lewis ever mention this to anyone, always referring to Clark as his fellow captain and equal. They conferred on every important issue and made their decisions jointly. Considering the jealousy, greed, and selfish desire for fame characteristic of so many explorers throughout history, this was a most extraordinary act of generosity. In fact, if one thing stands out as the guiding principle of the core of discovery, it's the unfailing respect and friendship Lewis and Clark had for one another, and there's no doubt that it had an inspiring effect on their men. During the winter of 1803 to 1804, they assembled 45 men for their corps of discovery, a mixture of soldiers, traders, trappers, and adventurers. They bought guns, tools, and clothes for everyone, and trade goods for the Indians they expected to meet on their way, and then prepared to set off up the Missouri from St. Louis, where the river merges with the Mississippi. Lewis brought his dog, a huge Newfoundland named Seaman, and a powerful air rifle, which, since it fired without spark or powder, was to astonish the Indians they met upstream. Clark decided to bring his black servant, whose name was York. On May 14, 1804, they set off in three boats, one large keelboat 55 feet long and two smaller open sailing boats called pirogues. Horses accompanied the expedition along the bank. From the start, Clark generally commanded the boats, while Lewis spent much time roaming the shore, making notes on the terrain and observing the animals and plants. They moved slowly northwest up the Missouri and had to fight the strong current all the way, sailing where they could, but mostly rowing, hour after hour. They could barely breathe as mosquitoes swarmed around their faces. Drifting logs rammed the boats. The keelboat often got stuck on sandbanks, and once it was nearly swamped when the riverbank collapsed. On a good day, they made fourteen miles. As they moved further northwest, they saw a changing landscape. Along the riverbank, there were trees, but everywhere around them, the land seemed to unfold and roll on forever in a sea of grass. Huge herds of buffalo grazed on this prairie as did antelope, jackrabbits, mule deer, and hares. Most intriguing to them were animals that lived like rabbits in vast warrens. None of the men had ever seen anything like them before. Lewis called them barking squirrels, but one of his sergeants gave them the name prairie dogs, by which they are still known today. They began to meet people, too. Jefferson had been insistent on their discovering everything they could about the tribes of Native Americans, or Indians, as they called them. So Lewis and Clark asked every tribe they met hundreds of questions, 
collecting interesting items like weapons and clothes, and tried to observe and write down as much as they could. The first Indians they met were friendly, and the expedition distributed gifts. Beads, cloth, scissors, razors, mirrors, knives, and tobacco. They also gave out medals embossed with Jefferson's face on one side and two hands clasped in friendship on the other, telling the Indians that their government in Washington wanted the tribes to live together peacefully and that if they did, the Americans would trade with everyone equally. Clark was particularly impressed with the Yankton Indians, who he described as a stout, bold-looking people who camped alongside of us and behaved honestly. But a Yankton chief named Half-Man warned him that the next tribe they would meet further up the Missouri would not be so welcoming, the Sioux. The Sioux, the most powerful nation in the region, controlled the flow of trade goods up the Missouri. For years, they had been trading furs...